Hi, everyone, and welcome to another European VC podcast. I'm David and joined, as usual, by my co-founder, Andreas. Today, we have a special one. We don't have one. We don't have two. We have three guests with us. And they are Joe Schorch and Chloe Dagna from Eisenberg Capital. And if I must say, that's Europe's hand-down best fund of funds. But full disclaimer, we are VPs at Eisenberg, so maybe just keep that in mind. And we're also joined by Benjamin Notlev, COO and CIO at Tech Barbecue, the leading tech conference in the Nordics. Before we start, we have a bit of an announcement to do here. Andreas, do you want to take the lead on this one? Yes, exactly. I do, David, because the big news that we have to share with everyone is that we have decided to partner up with Benjamin and make him our country ambassador in Denmark. And that is quite beautiful because, of course, something like this comes out of something. Yes, Joe, Joe is clapping away here. And I think that Joe will also recognize the motivation for us to be doing this with Benjamin because it, it is somewhat similar to why Joe invited David and I to join, join the Isomer Gang as VPs. Because Benjamin, of course, is very complementary to everything we're doing around connecting the ecosystem in, in Europe. Because as CIO and COO with Tech Barbecue, they're all about connecting the industry, but just with a focus on the Nordics. And, and that's, of course, something that resonates so well with us. And I've known Benjamin for years now and always enjoyed his company. And Benjamin has also invested with us a couple of times. So for that reason, we thought, why don't we do something more long-term, much closer than before. So, so Benjamin, maybe, maybe you would take over here and tell us a bit about why you think that we think you're amazing <laughs> and, and also why you uh, chose to accept this, uh, this offer of becoming a country ambassador with uh, UBC. Yeah, thank you for that. And I'm, I'm privileged to be part of your journey. I think what you're doing is amazing. And I like the vision you have uh, for the whole angel investing into VC funds through syndicates. So the ultimate reason is that I think that there are so many bright, super bright, bright people who does not have the financial means to follow on in a traditional way into a, a venture fund LP allocation. And these guys have amazing relationship with founders. And at the end of the day, the most important thing for a venture capital fund is access. And I don't mean access to a meeting. I mean, access to actually getting a signature on an investment, even without favorable terms, just because these guys have the trust and these guys have uh, the insight that may help them, you know, accelerate them forward. And so I think it's a very overlooked area. I think that there is a lot of small ticket business angels, a lot of community people who cannot put down a hundred thousand pounds in five different funds, but could do 10, 20, 30,000 euros pound dollars, whatever, and actually have a significant contribution to the venture fund, whether that is deal flow access or general access to subject matter experts throughout their whole, you know, investment journey or entrepreneurial journey rather. And so I, I love being able to help bridge those two because I speak with a lot of not only founders, but also business angels venture capital funds, but also community people who has this great access and this trust between founders. Yeah, exactly. And as you can hear, that's very much the, uh, the <laughs> he, Benjamin speaks with the same tone of voice and, and on the same topics as we always do. So in that sense, you know, you can see the connection there. I would maybe ask you, so what does this mean to the audience? I'd love to ask you, Benjamin, to, to dive a bit into that as well. But Clearly, this means that we're going to do a lot more together, both on the content investing and, and event side. 
And don't hesitate to reach out to Benjamin or myself if you're if you're interested in, in, in getting in on some of the action that we'll do together. Yeah. Uh, so I think uh, throughout time, it's going to mean a lot of things. We're in the early days, but uh, one of the things we've been doubling down on is uh, something called Nordic LP Forum, which is happening during something called Nordic Investor Day. It's one of the largest gatherings of investors, business angels, private equity, most focus on you know, venture side of things. So most venture capital funds, of course. And so we're collaborating on attracting, uh, you know, LPs that are already investing in, in venture capital funds. And then we're also spending a lot of time inviting people who are not currently investing in, in venture capital funds to inspire them uh, as to what VC as an asset class can do. And there are great synergies there. And you mentioned it a bit before, but Tech Barbecue's mission is literally joining efforts for entrepreneurship. We do believe one plus one equals three. And this is one of the cases. So you spend a lot of time with LPs, so do we, and together we can create something better. So that's that's one of the primary things I would like to highlight. I think a lot of nuggets are gonna be uh, given during this podcast. So I don't wanna I don't wanna spill too many beans because a lot of it is gonna <laughs> spilled when Joe and, and Chloe talks as well. No 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 beans spilled so far, uh Benjamin. Thank you. <laughs> Tear down this wall. It's more than just an alliance. This, this is a union of values, of values. United and determined, we can serve as a model for other regions of the world. The nature of a problem, problem requires a European response. Europe is a story of new beginnings, new, new beginnings. Let's start acting. This show is not investment advice, and the hosts of this episode may be invested in the funds and companies featured. Anyway, we're here to do an LP deep dive on, on, on the Nordics, and I want to start by asking our esteemed Eisenberg guests, Joe and Chloe, to kick things off with, I think, probably the first question for anyone that is not, well, like myself, who's not in the Nordics, right? So the first question is, why, you know, why look at the Nordics? Why do a deep dive? You know, where did that, where did that start with? So I guess... Joe, Chloe, take the stage. Give us give us the backdrop there and the and the details there. So, why would we look at the Nordics? Well, I think because it's an extremely exciting ecosystem, right? There is tons of talent, tons of amazing companies that have been created there over the last decade or so. So, as an LP that's investing in venture, it's a region that you know is is very hard to ignore. So we kind of look at it from that external gaze, right? You know, there's amazing talent, amazing company building. So why would we not want some of that in our portfolio? And then I think we look at it in a little bit of a more isomer lens way, right? So what does this look like in regards to our strategy? Well, there's a ton of great funds up there. You know, the likes of North Zone, Creandum, Atomico, they've all got their roots up in the Nordics. But they're, they're kind of growing. They're getting larger and larger. And there's space for these new early guys to come in and, and scoop up some of those amazing pre-seed seed deals where some of these more local names are, are just growing a little bit bigger. So we start looking at it uh, fr from that perspective, right? Who are those players and, and who do we want exposure to, do, to in that? And let me ask you kind of a more maybe boring <laughs> question for a minute, but I think it might be interesting to, to some of our listeners. And, and it's, it, it's kind of a, a, it's related to portfolio construction, right? So when, when you think of the Nordics as Isomer, is it a matter of, you know, we're deep diving into this region. We want to pick one bet. You know, we want to pick that crazy potential outlier player. Or is it more, you know, you're, you're kind of 
deciding how many bets you want to make. You know, I think this is interesting mostly for GPs listening in, but I'd love to hear the thinking there. Um, well, maybe I'll, I'll add two cents on just why Nordics. The Nordics have really punched above their weight in producing big, important tech companies. I mean, think about the domination of the gaming world, right? Um, you may have shot an angry bird at some point uh, out of a slingshot. You, you may have listened to music streaming in your car or on your phone, and uh, you, you, you may have done lots of other things with Nordic tech. So it's an important ecosystem to be part of. And to get to, to your question, David, we have a portfolio trying to balance the goals of, of covering all of Europe discovering where the next big thing will come from, but not being not having infinite resource and infinite tickets. So you have to somehow have a balance of number of uh, shots on goal, if you will. And and this is this is a tough this is the art of it. Um, the science of it is what's your IRR down to three decimal points. But the art of it is how many investments can we make to cover this important region? And this is what we spend um, weeks, months, and years uh, agonizing over as we as we go meet all the fund managers and tr try to build a, a portfolio that's you know as exciting as it can be. What I really enjoyed in our conversation ahead of this interview was the fact that a deep dive into the Nordics doesn't. It's kind of prompted by specific things. So it, it, first of all. First of all, of course, the region in itself is interesting, as you're saying, but then it can also be prompted by different occasions or different happenings. One being that you meet a manager that you that you're you're saying, okay, this this fund is incredibly interesting. We are very interested in looking more here, but we're not going to allocate to this fund without having a very clear view that we we know that this is the right fund to be buying at this time in the Nordics. And then there's another situation, which is also because you're already, of course, exposed to, to, to a significant number of managers in the Europe, and they're going to come back and say, we're, com we're coming up with fund two or coming up with fund three. We now want to, you know, we, can we count an isomer? And if that fund isn't just a smash it and, and everything is just green lights all the way, then it, it might also prompt a, a, a deep dive into the region because you're going to want to make sure that this is the fund, as, as, just as you're going to diligence that fund and look into the issues that you may have had with that fund, you're also going to do an external review and say, okay, is, it, is this still the best fund to be in in this region? Other things, then I guess you can also be prompted by having done a full review of your portfolio and saying, we think that we're now light in the Nordics. And for that reason, you know, we should we should go out and hunt. Am I right in saying that 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 that's the three events that might trigger a deep dive on a region? I think you're getting to the heart of why being a venture capital investor on the LP side is difficult, because if you I call it rearview mirror investing, if you simply look at groups that had really strong returns, you may be in their first fund that doesn't have strong returns. <laughs> really have to think about is. How did they generate those strong returns? And are all the conditions the same? You know, what's happened in the market? What's happened in the pricing of, of early stage deals and the founder network? What's happened in the, size, the specifics of the fund and the 
the team, maybe the people who made those great returns are there anymore. So it sounds obvious, but it isn't obvious because trends evolve over time. So part of doing a deep dive is based on the idea that we shouldn't make selections without as, as full knowledge as we can. And the only way to have full knowledge in private markets is to try to meet everybody and talk to everybody. But it's recognizing this idea that we're not investing looking backward. We're only using backward data in as much as it can predict what could come. And then we're investing forward. Wow. And, and that's tough. Every new team that we come across, there's some merit in them, right? And you meet some teams sometimes and think, wow, you know, I could really get on board with this. This is a cool idea. It feels like it might fit a bit of a gap in the ISMA portfolio. But before you get too involved, too, too lost in, the, in, that, uh, in that love you man kind of feeling, you have to reflect on, okay, well, am I, have I just got a great connection with this person? Or, you know, is this really the best option for our funds? So that requires you to go out and do a bunch more work to think about, okay, does this really fit? Is this really for us? Or, you know, is it another great fund that ideally we would love to back, but there's just not room for it in the portfolio because there's tons of crossover. We already have a lot of exposure either in that geography, in that sector, and we don't want to build there. So there's also a, a some, some backwards reflection that goes into this, which is, well, what have we missed? What didn't we capture in the Nordics in the last five, 10 years? And who would we have captured that with? Or maybe who are the new up and coming teams that are really looking in those areas that maybe our portfolio is slightly underweight on? You made me want to comment on the, on the if we can call it the I love you man phenomenon. <laughs> we all are in this business because we're, we're people who like working with bright, ambitious uh, smart, innovative other people, you point out that you tend to fall in love with ideas, with people, with concepts. And, and the danger of that is you get blinded a bit. So we all do it. And I say, oh, I really like this. Chloe, go, go up to Stockholm and have a look, you know, and see if you have the same opinion. And we think that's really important that independently, we look at ideas, funds, companies, and so on. And if everyone on the team has a similar response, we're probably on to something. But it's it's a way of trying to control for the I love you man, um, which, you know, if you don't have a team of people who are passionate, they won't have this I love you man moment. And then you lose something as well. So <laughs> so there's this I love you man should be built into a, to a passionate team that's excited about tech. On the other side, you have to be worried about it because... There have been times over the history of Eismer where I come back to the office and say, oh, this is great. And everyone points out why it's not great. So, <laughs> so um, that, that committee process is, is, is quite important. And the other big driver of a deep dive review that we didn't talk about is this market constantly evolves. So you may think you've met everyone in January of 2022, and by January of 2023, there's, there's 10 new funds that, that you don't know. Uh, and that's people spinning out of bigger groups. That's founders who exited, you know, do some angel deals and then create funds. That's uh, the big tech executives. We, we've talked about this in the past. But to be a good early stage investor, you, you cannot say at any point in time, oh, now we've met everyone. Now we know them. Because tomorrow there's a new one that you haven't met. And, and that may be the one that you'll be sorry you missed in five or 10 years when they prove themselves to be rock stars. Before, before um, moving on to, to how effectively, how do you map 
map out an ecosystem and, and, and choose which fund to back. Benjamin, I want to put you on the spot here. And before we go into that, ask, you know, what are your preliminary reflections <laughs> of the Nordic region when, of course, when you hear this, but also, you know, this is very much connected to your day to day. Why should why should LPs, you know, be looking at the Nordics? Why why is it relevant? I'd love to to, to bring you in here. Yeah, we can get down a couple of rabbit holes here. I think generally there is an opportunity in um, at least down the line uh, for growth funds to establish themselves in the Nordics. We don't have a lot. The ones we have are in Sweden, the stronghold, right? Uh, I think we have zero in the Nordics, uh, in, in, in Denmark, for instance, uh, trying to establish some. But we have a lot of interest from, from global growth funds. So I think there is an opportunity there. Because there is a, a lot of uh, a lot of early stage capital from pre seed seed to Series A, there is I don't want to say an abundance, but at least enough. And so you will be fed uh, quite an amount uh, down the line. So so that's one opportunity. If you see a, a GP who has done well and has a great future outlook that you believe in, that are looking to raise a growth fund, then that's worth looking in. I don't think a, a single country in the Nordics can have a country-specific growth fund. We don't have enough cases per you know, country to do that. But together, I, th I think there is enough for sure. And then generally, I think that there is a lot of opportunity coming out of sustainability cases down the line. There is a significant more, a larger portion of venture capital going towards sustainability startups in the Nordics than any other region. I don't remember the exact numbers, so I'm just going to throw out appropriate estimates. Uh, I think it's about 30% of venture capital that is poured towards sustainability startups in the Nordics, whereas in Europe, it might be 15, 20. In the US, it might be 10, 14. And I think in, in, in Asia, it's, it's single digit. And we all know that, uh, that we need a lot of cases. We need a lot of failed attempts to build a broad ecosystem of strong founders who would learn from that to build outlier companies. So I think we're a, a bit ahead of the curve when it comes to sustainability investing. Uh, so looking at investing in Article 9 funds as an LP, we have some great ones coming up. They're already established. They're already doing investments. And I think that may be one area through which you can look like. For the listener that doesn't have video, everyone's nodding. <laughs> I'd love to ask you, Joe, as the, I, I tend to call you the architect and uh, to anyone leading, reading our newsletter, that's also sometimes what I say, the, uh, the, the, the VC slash LP architect of Europe, that's Joel Shorch. So Joel, now I'll pitch you a curveball maybe. How does a, an LP that has not yet allocated to the Nordic specifically go about starting to do so? What would be, you know, your view if you were, to take over the family office or help set up the family office or something like that of someone. And then they say the Nordics, how should we think about that? How should we go about building our strategy for the Nordics? Yeah, well, it, it's not a curveball in the sense that my answer is always put some money in our funds and we'll help you. Um, <laughs> but Problem um, solved. Next. <laughs> yeah, problem solved. Uh, well, the reason, you know, we, we've spent, many, many years going country by country to understand because I, I believe that you can't make a, a strong selection until you've really understood all the options. So that's just a lot of uh, time on the streets, meeting fund A, meeting fund B, meeting fund C. And we learn a lot from those funds. And as Chloe said, there's something to like about them all. We're, we're not meeting 
funds that we think have no chance to to perform well and to back great founders and so on. However, you have to think about what's what's your objective, you know. And if you want to be um, taking early stage risk, we think that's the most exciting place to invest because you have the highest return potential. However, you also have a high risk. So diversifying, in other words, taking multiple bets within that market, we do that within our funds because based on the principle that I don't know what the next big thing is. It may be in the fintech industry. It may be in gaming. It may be in uh, industry 4.0. I don't know. So if I have a broad exposure to it, I increase my chance to catch the next big thing. So for new family offices starting out, where quite a few are LPs of ours. Some of them allocate to a strategy like ours and use that as a way to learn. You get exposure, but you also start to understand, well, how does that market work? Who are the players? Maybe I can start to allocate to some funds myself. Um, the other strategy you see, the exact opposite end of the spectrum, family offices quite often just invest in a few companies. And you know that's a dangerous thing to do unless you have a team that is, is skilled at that. Um, many family offices get offers from private banks and from founders in their network or, you know, I call it brother-in-law investing sometimes. Oh, my brother-in-law's got a great idea. And the story we hear again and again and again is, yeah, we did, you know, five investments, six investments, uh, four of which have failed so far, and two look shaky. So, you know, if you want to take that level of risk, you should be very careful and have some skill on your team or else enter through diversification. Um, or, or, you know, if you're willing to and able to put in the hard work you have to go to Stockholm and meet the funds, go to Helsinki and meet the funds, go to Copenhagen and meet the funds. I mean, I'm totally biased because this is really fun. This is like the most fun thing you can do for a job. However, it takes a lot of time. And you have to have a good reason why these funds want to take time to meet you. It goes two ways, right? Really good funds. Maybe they don't need your money. So you have to offer something to them as well uh, as, as part of meeting them and accessing their funds. Joe, what you said is you know, all in all, it's it's fun, but it's 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 hard work and it's tough. <laughs> you know, you need you need to really to really spend hours and hours and hours in doing it. And and everything Joe said is is very close to the reason why we have our own investing activity in in, in UVC. It's just more tailored towards angels and high net worth individuals, right? Because the same story, I I also hear it every every single day, almost. You know. Yeah, I've done some investments. Yeah, I'm, I'm not angel investing anymore. Yeah, it's not really worth it, right? And that just comes from, uh, you can call it brother-in-law investing. You can call it just, you know, um, lack of, of a strategy, whatever it is, right? So I just, just wanted to kind of make Joe's words ours in the sense that it's relevant for institutionals and Isomer is the proof of that. And, and Isomer is a big part of our inspiration in what we do as well because we believe we, there's also something we can do for, for non-institutionals. Um, business angels, uh, smaller families, stuff like that. So Joe just wanted to, to share some love with you because you are an inspiration for us, for sure, on that front. <laughs> yeah, so uh, we're now on the Love Wagon, uh, the love 225th <laughs> episode or so of EUVC, and we're all all very happy and friends here. <laughs> now, Chloe, I want to ask you a question, and that, that's because you've run this process inside Isomer very much, drawing in the whole team, helping everyone get, get around understanding the Nordics. So I would now love to ask you exactly what are the steps from going 
from the realization, want to look at the Nordics, to then we will back Fundex. What happens in between there? Oh, what happens in between? A, a lot of work, a lot of analysis, uh, but hopefully you get to, to the right conclusion, right? So we start by looking like super broadly, okay? So, you know, what countries are we going to focus on in the region? So we, we've just done our latest deep dive on Sweden, Denmark, Norway, Finland, Iceland. And then we think, okay, well, who do we already know there? And who maybe don't we know or haven't we spoken to for a while that we could probably do with getting an update, right? You know, you speak to people, things change. I think particularly in today's market, you had a lot of uh, a lot of funds, you know, they raised big, right? They, they said, okay, we did a 20 million fund. Now we're doing 120. Actually, maybe they didn't quite get there. Maybe the fund was 60. Maybe actually the next fund's looking like it's going to be 80 instead especially in these kind of more turbulent market times, you can't be presumptuous about anything. So really making sure that you're checking in with those teams, keeping relationships warm, whereby you really have a strong feeling about, about people is a good way to, to start. But, you know, we map it all out. We think, who do we know? Who do we not know? We do some re-engaging. We go to events. We try and meet new people. We rely on on guys like you, right, who are out there meeting these new edgy emerging managers all the time to be like, hey, we saw this really cool girl in, in Stockholm raising this fund. Like, do you want a connection? Um, of course, we, we always take that. So I think for us, there's that initial kind of big research piece that is just externally reaching out to everyone and knowing that we have this good market map. And then there's a bit of internal work as well, right? So what do we have in the portfolio at the moment? What have we captured? What haven't we captured? What would we like more of? What is our forward look on what we think is going to be most exciting in the next few years? And maybe what haven't we done such a good job of capturing in our last vintage that we think, okay, we really want to double down on this space that maybe we just don't feel like we're strong enough in. So a little bit of pairing those, those few things together to think, okay, well, where is it that we really, really see an opportunity? I think we've tracked in this latest process about 90 funds and then we start filtering them down, right? Okay, so who's working in those spaces that we really like and are excited about? What team constructs are in there that we really feel like, wow, these guys have something. They're going to be able to access some better deals, some amazing entrepreneurs that maybe our, our current roster isn't getting to because they're investing in a slightly different strategy. Um, or maybe it's a spin out of an, an old company or, you know, a, a principal from a fund setting up their, their new shop that we think, okay, they really have a hold on an ecosystem here and can access something that that we're not getting at the moment. So it's really that triaging, that filtering down until you feel like, guys, you know, we think we found the team. Joe, I, I'd love to ask you, because I know you have a very strong view on FIT, and, and I'd love to expand a bit on that framework, the FIT framework that Isomer applies to your investing. Do also clarify a bit on the criteria side. What is it that you're looking for specifically in the funds? The process Chloe is describing looks a lot like a traditional sales filter, sales pipeline, funnel. We put a lot of ideas in at the top and, and a little over 90 funds in the latest filter. But then we start to pare that down by saying, well, we really want to focus on, on funds that will be the first professional money into companies. So that tends to be seed and pre-seed. And, and that takes you naturally to smaller funds. Larger funds tend to tranche their capital in later. So it's 
more biased to, when you look at uh, where the money actually goes, more biased to later stage. We also, important to say, we focus on digital companies, digital business models. We do not invest in life sciences. So we cut out those funds, for example. And so, you, you, you know, you start to pare down on really basic criteria. Then we're really looking at three, three big pillars of activity. Number one, how do we make great returns together? Can we make money together? And all kind of the normal LP logic that goes into that fund size, number of tickets, reserve ratios, exit assumptions, all those normal things. Second big pillar is, well, we already have a portfolio. We've invested quite a lot in this region. So if this new thing we're considering, is it actually diversifying or would it overlap at all with what we have? So we call that the diversification agenda. And it kills me, but we do turn down very good funds purely on that basis. They're too similar to something else that we've already invested, which is kind of annoying because nobody likes to turn down a great investment. However, that, that agenda of shots on goal um, requires that you do. And the third big area is then uh, what we call the partnership model. Is this a firm we really can partner with and by doing so, uh, we'll make them stronger, hopefully, and they'll make us stronger. And that's the free flow of information and deals in two directions, the ability to do more together over time. As we said, we like small funds. So if this fund is getting to the edge of our scope and the next fund will be out of our scope, you know, we're, we're thinking about that pretty carefully because maybe it's a one and done and, and maybe this versus another group, which may stay within our scope for longer. So there's an, an awful lot of things. So we got in this latest funnel, uh, we found about 70 funds were within our broad scope, about 36 we wanted to monitor, and we came down to 12. I don't know if it's the right word or not, but on our on our slide where they're called favorites, <laughs> 12 favorites, <laughs> and I will not name names, sorry. Um, but these are groups we think will be highly productive, will we'll generate high returns, and who we could work with. Now, the problem is we can't write 12 tickets. I, I wish we could. That would be kind of easy. Um, but that's not what our LPs are paying us for, and that's not a, a strong construction. So we've then got to go through an agonizing process of how do we select out of these 12, uh, three or four that we could back um, and, and try to have the coverage of the market, but also satisfy all these other criteria. And I think at Iceman, you know, that's a that's a really collaborative process, that that final triage, right? We literally all get in a room and sit around a table and start debating, well, you know, I met these guys and I think they bring this to the table. But if you look at this data and this analysis, we don't have this in our portfolio. So we should be thinking about bringing more in from over here. So it's really like a sit down debate around, okay, well, where do we think this capital should go? What works for us as a as a team, as a business for our LPs to deliver the, the strongest returns? Chloe, on that note, the feeling any attentive listener gets is you led the grunt work up until then. <laughs> and then it, it, you know, so I'd love to ask you actually, you know, that's, that's a lot of people to talk to. That's a lot of uh, funds to look at. That's a lot of strategies to do. Like, even if it's a very brief preliminary DD, like there's a lot of information there. So core learnings and maybe more interestingly, like any, any unexpected surprises, whether that's positive or negative, but I'd love to ask you to share some of, some of your findings there. 
Yeah, um, absolutely. Um, and I mean, I have to, I have to definitely not take all the credit here and say that you know, Ison has got an amazing team, and 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 this is very much a, a a group effort on on our behalf with everyone pitching in who they've met and who they've liked, and and you know, we, we will always uh, work work that way. I was maybe more more the ringleader on on this one. So, you know, you, you see a lot. I think the, the staggering thing that we realized when we looked, you know, we, we love micro funds. That's part of our strategy, but it's not all of it. But actually, there was, there was a ton of micro funds in, in, in the Nordics that once we started looking, you know, we just became more and more aware of we're, we're classifying that as, as funds under 30 million in size, right? And Interestingly enough, you also then had a lot of funds that that tipped over the 100 million mark. And within that 30 to 100 million size, not actually that many funds. I think that was a real insight for us, right? There's a lot on the very small scale. In the Nordics, there's a lot that have, have grown grown a lot a little bit bigger around 120, 130 in size. And, and, and sub 100 million funds are, are, are relatively scarce, which is, is our sweet spot. And, and so we love to see that. For us, one of the things that we always find is we look at Finland and think it's an amazing ecosystem. It's super exciting. Um, there's a lot of great funds there, a lot of activity uh, going on. And so we continue to be very, very excited about that market. And for us, maybe Sweden is one of the, the harder markets to access, but is one of the, the highest performing. I love uh, Benjamin to pull you in on this one, because this is, of course, isomer process, a bit hard for you to talk a lot to. Nordics strengths, what's going on here? A bit easier, a bit more close to what you're doing normally. I would say that we've definitely gone for the last three, four years in, 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 in the Nordics, we've definitely gone from having many funds that are nationally focused to saying now it is all of the Nordics or some have even gone pan-European. Do you agree with that statement and 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 could you share a bit about how you're seeing that the, the VC ecosystem in Europe, or sorry, in, in, in the Nordics, connecting across borders? Yeah, for sure. Uh, generally speaking, yes, I think you're definitely right. I think a lot of prior strength or pride has been in having a nationally domestic fund. And your why is, hey, uh, global funds, growth funds come to us. We know Danish, Swedish, Finnish, you know. Atlantic cases and we'll bring them to you. But uh, that's not where we're trending now. We're seeing even the very domestic funds uh, having an outlook on international investment theses cross-border, at least in the Nordics, but even global, going from purely national to global investments, or at least having a portion of the fund uh, leading that way, which I think is very healthy looking at potential returns. You're limiting yourself to potentially small markets. And if you have a you know, 10-year fund, then you might have a downturn in a market that you don't want to have a 100% allocation to. So, yeah, I think you're right. Uh, that's also what we're seeing. To jump in on, on what Benjamin's saying there as well, you know, a lot of funds have been established as the domestic player. And as new entrants come to the market, it's much harder to enter the market as, okay, well, I'm I'm covering Sweden because there's already people doing that, right? Those players have already been established. So I think a lot of the new players that we see come to the market have much more of a thesis lens on what they're doing. 
Um, and as Benjamin mentioned earlier, there's a massive strength around sustainability in, in the Nordics that, that you see. And we see a lot of players coming with amazing climate funds. I think that's something that's been very, very exciting for, for me to look at over the past year is some of these players. I think we saw it in our own ISMA portfolio in the early days. Those that we'd backed in the Nordics were the first ones to turn around and say, OK, here is our focused ESG strategy. This is what we're doing about it. Kind of before it was cool, right? Back in like 2017, 2018, before everyone was doing it, they were our first funds that really came to us and said, we're, we're really actively thinking about it. And I think, again, if you look at uh, diversity, um, if you look at um, like partnership diversity, it's much, much better in the Nordics than, than we see elsewhere. So I think they've definitely been kind of early, early leaders in that space. And as the ecosystem continues to develop there, we see a lot of very impact-led funds and a lot of climate funds uh, emerging emerging in the Nordics with this more kind of specialist lens on them as opposed to being uh, purely one market geographic-based investors. And Joe, I'd love to ask you then on this question because it, is, it was a bit easier to build a portfolio that was well diversified and didn't have overlaps when you could say, I'll pick one in Denmark, one in, one in Sweden, one in Norway, and so on. A bit different now. How do you deal with that? And as an example, you know, we also have funds that do Stockholm, Copenhagen, and Paris, right? And what, how do you fit that into your portfolio? I'd love to hear your reflections on this. It's a good observation. There was a time not very many years ago where you probably could do very well by just picking your Swedish fund, picking your Danish fund, picking your Finnish fund. And, and that's because most firms are less than 10 years old and they were getting started and they had a, a more local thesis that reflected their, their deal flow. But I think what you're all talking about is an old, an old theme of ours, which is tech investing is not a national sport. Founders are not in the building businesses to dominate their country. They're building businesses to build products that can be regional, at least if not go go global. <laughs> to to continue with Angry Birds, for an, for an example, we want the world to play Angry Birds, not not just people in Finland. And therefore, uh, what everyone found, from what I can see over the last five years or so, you may have been focused on on your home country, and you may have a home country advantage. But you saw some pretty interesting deals within your thesis in the adjoining couple of countries. And I think, I mean, Chloe, keep me honest here, but I think pretty much every fund has told us that. Hey, I know, you know, last time we told you we were only focused on Finland, but we've done a deal in Gothenburg because we saw this, you know, we're enterprise software focused and this was right in our zone and we loved it. And and I can give you examples in each country where they've done a deal in another country. So then they evolve and the next one comes out and they say, well, now we're focused on our home base, but actually we're putting an office and you know one or two people in, in the next country over. And that's a pretty universal story. Am, am I exaggerating here, Chloe? Uh, no, I, I think that that's pretty honest, especially as those funds kind of start to scale in size. I think kind of to counteract that point a little bit, is that on the other end of the scale, on that really kind of micro 5 million fund size scale, we're seeing some hyper-localized funds that are maybe focusing on set second cities, right? So they're not focusing on Stockholm, they're not focusing on Copenhagen, but they're looking at, okay, well, where else is exciting tech emerging from an ecosystem? And let me really focus and double down on that one very, very small city. So we're seeing some very hyper-localized funds at the opposite end of the scale too. 
Can I pick up on on Benjamin's point he made a minute ago? Because I see what you said to Benjamin. Hey, we're, you know, now we're in three or four Nordic cities and we're going to go to Berlin and we're going to go to Paris and we're going to go to London and I, or we're going to go global. I'm nervous about that. And I have a lot of debates with VCs about that because if I buy the story that you have something special to offer the founder in Copenhagen, explain that to me. I can validate it. I can talk to those founders, right? But what are you offering that's really special to the people in Berlin? And what is it, and why is it more special than the many very good VC firms in Berlin? So I'm always kind of wondering, okay, I see that you got a good deal in Paris, but you know what? There's an awful lot of good French VCs in Paris, and they probably saw that deal five times before you did. So, you know, I'm not against expansion in other areas, but, but I want to hear a really compelling story as to why you're doing that, not just... I went on holidays in Paris and I really liked it. And I, you know, and I met some tech founder. I went to a conference, you know, but that's not enough. Uh, so I'm always thinking, okay, fine, but isn't it more powerful to stay to your core and really be the winner in that market, dominate that market rather than play now in six markets and be okay in those other, and there can be a good answer to that. But for me, that's the first question. Tell me a good story about why you're going to this new market. I think that uh, the fund managers have, uh, yeah, the ones who stand it right and successfully done so have the the right stories. It's hard for me to say, but I think that what's apparent is that there's been an inc- like incredibly growth in the amount of venture funds since what 2005, 2007 that has been established. It's at least four or five, maybe sixfold, right? And so you see an increased amount of competition in your domestic markets, and that might lead you to hey. We can't deploy our whole fund, at least not within our thesis, at least not with founders that we feel and trust can create outlier category-defining companies. Let me, you know, see what I can invest in elsewhere. And then they'll pick areas where they may have better parts of their lives being lived in or otherwise and double down on those and see if they can leverage that uh, to do more investments. So I think that's a very natural course. But to answer your question, I think the ones who has the best chance and actually leverage, you know, a more global perspective to investment is, and that's also a recent trend, which was first picked up in 2016. I think it was when EQT launched MotherBrain. They held, they, they leveraged technology to allow them to assess and get access uh, to more cases all around the world. And so... That allows them to get a pretty good idea around the same time as the local funds in Berlin, what is going on there. And funds like that, EQT, have pretty good relationships with them. Now, I know EQT is global, so maybe that's a, the wrong example. But if hyperlocal fund can have, say, proprietary technology or leverage technology to enable them to get access at around the same time as domestic funds can do and say that the... Uh, just to go back to the same example as you had, say that the Finnish uh, venture capital fund that is local now wants to invest in Berlin, say that the Finnish one has better capabilities in helping that founder scale globally, then why not pick that? You know, at, at the end of the day, the market is global. As you said, tech is global. It's not domestic. It's never domestic. And so the journey is how do we take it from Berlin to the rest of the world? And if the Finnish VC can help them get there, and access 
the startup around the same time as the Berlin-based one, then sure, that, that's a great thesis because now you just have an empowered venture capital fund that can do so much more than the local one in the given region. Now, I'm not saying that's an internal truth, but that could be my five cents on it. I'm going to come to tech barbecue and debate this with you. I would love that. <laughs> I would love that. Week or two time. But my, my quick shot would be, I, my guess is this works better at later stages because the tech uh, signals start to come as companies are growing, as they're hiring, as their products in market and so on. I think it works less well at the very early stages. It's two guys in a the garage, they're pre-revenue, they haven't even told anyone what they're doing yet. And in that case, I think you do need to be, how do you find that garage and go in there and help them with their product? But anyway, I, I'm, I'm coming up to Copenhagen for Tech Barbecue and we're gonna talk about this. I'm excited about it. And I don't disagree, by the way. <laughs> Me too. Yeah. Thank you, Joel and Benjamin, for creating a cliffhanger and making it the <laughs> easiest way to end up an episode ever. Dave and I are just enjoying it, seeing the two of you playing uh, playing a bit with each other and, uh, and, and, and warming everyone up for, for Tech Barbecue. It's going to be an amazing, uh, amazing conference for sure. We are looking with great interest at the uh, LP forum and what's going to happen there. Chloe, Joe, Benjamin, thanks a million for joining us for this deep dive into the Nordics. Everyone listening in, if you enjoyed this episode of the European VC podcast, do drop us a review, follow the pod and subscribe at eu.vc, where we will also make this interview digestible into a couple of core insights for you so you don't have to sit there with your notepad trying to scratch out some uh, some, some thoughtful <laughs> considerations, but can just take over our work. Thank you for having us. Thanks so much, guys. Thanks so much, guys. Tear down this wall. It's more than just an alliance. This, this is a union of values, of values. United and determined, we can serve as a model for other regions of the world. The nature of a problem, problem requires a European response. Europe is a story of new beginnings, new, new beginnings. Let's start acting.